This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Monday matinees begin right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents In the Penal Colony by Franz Kafka. It's a unique apparatus. I stood in a small, deep, sandy valley, closed in on all sides by barren slopes, watching as the officer in charge made adjustments to his machine. I was to witness the execution of a soldier condemned for disobeying and insulting his superior. In addition to the officer and me, there were two others present. The condemned, a vacant-looking man with a broad mouth and dilapidated hair and face, and a soldier who held a heavy chain which bound the condemned. Assist us. While the officer spoke my language, it was clear that neither the soldier nor the condemned man understood us. There. It's all done now. Have a look at it, yeah. But, as I was saying, from now on, the machine will run itself. Up to this point, I had to do some work by hand, but now the apparatus should work entirely on its own. Of course, breakdowns do happen. I really hope none will occur today, but we must be prepared for it. The apparatus is supposed to keep going for 12 hours without interruption. But if any breakdowns do occur, they'll only be very minor, and we'll deal with them right away. Now, I don't know whether the Commandant has already explained this apparatus to you. No. Ah, well then. This apparatus is our previous Commandant's invention. I also worked with him on the very first tests and took part in all the work right up into its completion. However, the credit for the invention belongs to him alone. Have you heard of our previous commandant? Nine. Well, I'm not claiming too much when I say that the organization of the entire penal colony is his work. We, his friends, already knew at the time of his death that the administration of the colony was so self-contained that even if his successor had a thousand new plans in mind, he would not be able to alter anything of the old plan. At least not for several years. And our prediction has held. The new commandant has had to recognize that. It's a shame that you did not know the previous commandant. However, I am chattering, and this apparatus stands here in front of us. As you see, it consists of three parts. The one underneath is called the bed. The upper one is called the inscriber. And here in the middle, this moving part is called the harrow. The harrow? Yeah, the harrow. The name fits. The needles are arranged as in a hero, and the whole thing is driven like a hero, although it stays in one place and is, in principle, much more artistic. You'll understand in a moment. So here is the bed, as I said. The whole thing is completely covered with a layer of cotton wool. The condemned man is laid out on his stomach on the cotton wool, naked, of course. There are straps for the hands here, and for the feet here, and for the throat here to tie him in securely. At the head of the bed, here, where the man, as I have mentioned, first lays face down, is this small protruding lump of felt, which can easily be adjusted so that it presses right into the man's mouth. Its purpose is to prevent him screaming and biting his tongue to pieces. 
Of course, the man has to let the felt into his mouth, otherwise the straps around his throat would break his neck. That's cotton wool? Yeah, it is. Feel it for yourself. It's a specially prepared cotton wool. That's why it looks so unrecognizable. I'll get around to mentioning its purpose in a moment. So the man would be lying down? Yeah, now listen. Both the bed and the inscriber have their own electricia batterian. The bed needs them for itself, and the inscriber for the hero. As soon as the man is strapped in securely, the bed is set in motion. It quivers with tiny, very rapid oscillations from side to side and up and down simultaneously. You will have seen similar devices in mental hospitals. Only with our bed, all movements are precisely calibrated, for they must be meticulously coordinated with the movements of the hero. But it's the hero which has the job of actually carrying out the sentence. What is the sentence? You don't even know that? I don't. Uh, Forgive me if my explanations are perhaps confused. I really do beg your pardon. Previously, it was the Commandant's habit to provide such explanations, but the new Commandant has excused himself from this honorable duty. The fact that with such, a, with such an eminent visitor, he didn't even once make you aware of our form of sentencing is yet again something new, which I was not informed about it. In any case, I am certainly the best person able to explain our style of sentencing. For here, I am carrying the relevant diagrams drawn by the previous Commandant. Huh? Diagrams made by the Commandant himself? Then was he in his own person a combination of everything? Was he soldier, judge, engineer, chemist, and draftsman? <laughs> he was indeed. Our sentence does not sound severe. The law which a condemned man has violated is inscribed on his body, carved into his flesh with the hero. This condemned man, for example, will have inscribed on his body, Honor your superiors. Does he know his sentence? Nine. He doesn't know his sentence? No, it would be useless to give him that information. He experiences it on his body. But does he nonetheless have some general idea that he's been condemned? Not that either. No. Then does a man not also yet know how his defense was received? <laughs> he has had no opportunity for defense. But he must have had a chance to defend himself. Uh, the matter stands like this. Here, in the colony, I have been appointed judge, in spite of my use, for I stood at the side of our old commandant in all matters of punishment, and I also know the most about the apparatus. The basic principle I use for my decision is this. Guilt is always beyond a doubt. Other courts could not follow this principle, for they are made up of many heads, and in addition, have even higher courts above them. But that is not the case here, or at least it was not that way with the previous commandant. It is true, the new commandant has already shown a desire to get mixed up in my court, but I have succeeded so far in fending him off, and I will continue to be successful. Mm -hmm. You want this case explained. It's simple, just like all of them. This morning, this morning, a captain laid a charge on this man that had been sleeping on duty. For his task is to stand up every time the clock strikes the hour and salute in front of the captain's door. That's certainly not a difficult duty, and it's not vending. It's necessary, since he is supposed to remain fresh, both for guarding and for service. Last night, the captain wanted to check whether this man was fulfilling his duty. He opened the door on the stroke of two and found him curled up asleep. He got his horse with and hit him across the face. Now, instead of standing up and begging for forgiveness, the man grabs his masters by the legs, shook him, and cried out, Throw away that whip, or I'll eat you up. Those are the factum. The captain came to me an hour later. I wrote up his statement, and right after that, the sentence. Then I had the man chained up. It was all very simple. I see. If I had first summoned the man to interrogate him, the result would have been confusion. He would have lied. And if I had been successful in refuting his lies, he would have replaced them with new lies and so forth. But now I have him, and I won't release him again. 
Now, does that clarify everything? But time is passing. Uh, we should be starting the execution, and I haven't finished explaining the apparatus yet. Yes, of course. As you see, the shape of the hero corresponds to the shape of Ein Mann. This is the hero for the upper body, and here are the heroes for the legs. This small cutter here is the only one designated for the head. Is that clear to you? Will the commandant be present at the execution? It, that is not certain. That is why we need to hurry. Schnell. As much as I regret the fact, I will have to make my explanation even shorter. Uh, but tomorrow, once the apparatus is clean again, the fact that it gets so very dirty is its only fault, I could add a detailed explanation. But for now, only the most important things. When the man is lying on the bed and it starts quivering, the hero sinks onto the body. It positions itself automatic in such a way that it touches the body only lightly with the needle tips. Once the machine is set in this position, this steel cable tightens up into a rod. And now... The performance begins. As it quivers, it sticks the tips of the needles into the body, which is vibrating from the movement of the bed. Now, to enable someone to check on how the sentence is being carried out, the hero is made of glass. And now, the inscription is made on the body. Everyone can see through the glass. Don't you want to come closer and see the needles for yourself? Very well. You see, two sorts of needles in a multiple arrangement. Each long needle has a short one next to it. The long one inscribes, and the short one squirts water out to wash away the blood and keep the inscription always clear. The bloody water is then channeled here in small grooves and finally flows into these main gutters, and the outlet pipe takes it to the pit. As he began to demonstrate, I saw to my horror that the condemned man had, like me, accepted the officer's invitation to inspect the arrangement of the harrow up close. I could see how, with a confused gaze, he was looking for what he had just observed, but lacking the explanation, didn't succeed. He kept running his eyes over the glass again and again. I was tempted to push him back, for what he was doing was probably punishable when the officer noticed. Schnell, in auf! Behandle ihn so gefeitslig! Er lenkt uns, Rengostop! Well, now I know all about it. Except for the most important thing. Here in the inscriber is the mechanismus which determines the movement of the hero, and this mechanism is arranged according to the diagram on which the sentence is set down. I still use the diagrams as a previous commandant here. They are. Read it. I can't. But it's clear. It's very artistic, but I can't decipher it. Of course, it has to be a script that isn't simple. You see, it's not supposed to kill right away, but on average over a period of 12 hours. The turning point is set for the sixth hour. There must also be many, many embellishments surrounding the basic script. The essential script moves around the body only in a narrow belt. The rest of the body is reserved for decoration. Can you now appreciate the work of the hero and the whole apparatus? Now, watch as I turn the machine on. Hmm? Do you understand the process? The hero is starting to write. When it's finished with the first part of the strip on the man's back, the layer of cotton wool rolls and turns the body slowly onto its side to give the hero a new area. Meanwhile, those parts lacerated by the inscription are lying on the cotton wool, which, because it has been specially plated, immediately stops the bleeding and prepares the script for further deepening. Here, as the body continues to rotate, prongs on the edge of the hero then pulls the cotton wool from the bones, throw it into the pit, and the hero goes to work again. In this way, it keeps making the inscription deeper for 12 hours. For the first six hours, the condemned man goes on living almost as before. He suffers nothing but pain. Nothing but pain? After two hours, the felt is removed, for at that point, the man has no more energy for screaming. Here at the head of the bed, warm rice pudding is put into the less pressure heated bowl. 
From this, the man, if he feels like it, can help himself to what he can lap up with his tongue. No one passes up this opportunity. I don't know of a single one, and I have had a lot of experience. He first loses his pleasure in eating around the sixth hour. How quiet the man becomes then. The most stupid of them begin to understand. It starts around the eyes and spreads out from there. Nothing else happens. Nicht. The man simply begins to decipher the inscription. He purses his lips as if he is listening. You've seen that it is not easy to figure out the inscription with your eyes. But our man deciphers it with his wounds. True, it takes a lot of work. It requires six hours to complete. But then the hero spits him right out and throws him into the pit, where he splashes down into the bloody water and we quickly bury him. I observed the empty machine at work. The condemned man was also watching, but without understanding. He bent forward a little and followed the moving needle. Schneider, sein Kleidung ab! The soldier cut through the condemned man's shirt and trousers. The officer turned the machine off. And in the ensuing silence, the naked condemned man was laid out under the harrow. The chains were taken off and the straps fastened in their place. And now the harrow sunk down a stage lower, for the condemned was a thin man. The strap meant to hold the wrist snapped. The machine is very complicated. Uh, now and then something has to tear or break. One shouldn't let that detract from one's overall opinion. Anyway, we have an immediate replacement for the strap. I'll use a chain, even though that will affect the sensitivity of the movements for the right arm. Uh, our resources for maintaining the machine are very limited at the moment. Under the previous commandant, I had free access to a cash box specially set aside for this purpose. There was a storeroom here in which all possible replacement parts were kept. Now he keeps the cash box for machinery under his own control. And if I ask him for a new strap, he demands the torn one as evidence. The new one doesn't arrive for ten days, and it's an inferior brand of not much use to me. But how am I supposed to get the machine to work in the meantime without a strap? No one's concerned about that. The soldier had just shoved the stub of felt into the condemned man's mouth, not without difficulty, when the condemned man, overcome by the irresistible nausea, shut his eyes and threw up. Oh, this is all the commandant's fault. My machine is as filthy as a pigsty. Haven't I spent hours trying to make the commandant understand that before the execution there should be no food served? But the new lenient administration has a different opinion. Before the man is led away, the commandant's women cram sugary things down his throat. His whole life he's fed himself on stinking fish, and now he has to eat sweets. But that would be all right. I'd have no objections, but why don't they get a new felt the way I have been asking him for three months now? How can anyone take this felt into his mouth without feeling disgusted? Something that a hundred men have sucked and bitten on as they were dying. I want to speak a few words to you in confidence. May I do that? Of course. This process and execution, which you now have an opportunity to admire have no more open supporters in our colony. I am its only defender, just as I am the single advocate for the legacy of the old commandant. When the old commandant was alive, the colony was full of his supporters. I have something of the old commandant's persuasiveness, but I completely lack his power, and as a result, the supporters have gone into hiding. There are still a lot of them, but no one admits to it. If you go into a tea house today, th that is to say, on the day of an execution, and keep your ears open, perhaps you'll hear nothing but ambiguous remarks. They are all supporters, but under the present commandant, considering his present views, they are totally useless to me. And now, I am asking you, should such a life's work come to nothing because of this commandant and the women influencing him? Should people let that happen? Even if one is an Ausländer, a foreigner, and on our island for only a couple of days. 
But there's no time to lose. Discussions are already taking place in the Commandant's headquarters, to which I am not invited. Even your visit today seems to me typical of the whole situation. People are cowards and send you out, a foreigner. You should have seen the execution in earlier days. The entire valley was overflowing with people, even a day before the execution. Fanfares woke up the entire campsite. I delivered the news that everything was ready. The whole society had to attend. The machine was freshly cleaned and glowed. For almost every execution, I had new replacement parts. In front of hundreds of eyes, all the spectators stood on tiptoe right up to the hills there. The condemned man was laid down under the harrow by the commandant himself. What nowadays has to be done by a common soldier was then my work as senior judge, and it was an honour for me. And then the execution began. No discordant tone disturbs the work of the machine. In the silence, people heard nothing but the groans of the condemned man muffled by the felt. It was impossible to grant all the requests people made to be allowed to watch from up close. The commandant, in his wisdom, arranged that the kinder should be taken care of before all the rest. Naturally, I was always allowed to stand close by, because of my official position. Often I crouched down there with two small children in my arms on my right and left. How we all took in the expression of the transfiguration on the martyred face. How we held our cheeks in the glow of this justice finally attained and already passing away. Oh, what times we had, my friend. I see. I don't want to upset you in any way. I know it is impossible to make someone understand those days now. Besides, the machine still works and operates on its own, even when it is standing alone in this valley. And at the end, the body still keeps falling into that incredibly soft flight into the pit, even if hundreds of people are not gathered like flies around the holes of as they used to be. Ah, do you see the shame of it? I, I... Uh, yesterday, I was nearby when the Commandant invited you. I heard the invitation. I know the Commandant. I understood right away what he intended with this invitation. Although his power might be sufficiently great to take action against me, he doesn't yet dare to. But my guess is that with you, he is exposing me to the judgment of a respected foreigner. He calculates things with care. You are now in your second day on the island. You did not know the old commandant and his way of thinking. Perhaps you are fundamentally opposed to the death penalty in general, and to this kind of mechanical style of execution in particular. Moreover, you see how the execution is a sad procedure without any public participation, using a partially damaged machine. Now, if we take all this together, surely one could easily imagine that you would not consider my procedure proper. And if you didn't consider it right, you wouldn't keep quiet about it, for you no doubt have faith that your tried and true convictions are correct. It's true that you have seen many peculiar things among many peoples and have learned to respect them. Thus you will probably not speak out against the procedure with your full power, as you would perhaps in your own homeland. No. But the Commandant doesn't really need that. A casual word, merely a careless remark is enough. It doesn't have to match your convictions at all, so long as it corresponds to his wishes. I am certain he will use all his shrewdness to interrogate you. You will say something like, Among us, your judicial procedures are different, or with us, the accused is questioned before the verdict, or we had torture only in the Middle Ages. For you, these observations appear as correct as they are self-evident, innocent remarks which do not impugn my procedure. But how will the Commandant take them? How will he take them? I see him now. Our excellent Commandant. The way he immediately pushes his stool aside and hurries out to the balcony. I see his women as they stream after him. I hear his voice. The women call it a thunder voice. And now he is speaking. A great explorer who has been commissioned to inspect judicial procedures in all the countries has just said that our process, based on the old customs, is inhuman. Ah. 
After the verdict of such a personality, it is, of course, no longer possible for me to tolerate this procedure. So from this day on, I am ordering then, and so forth. You want to intervene. You didn't say that what he is reporting... You didn't call my procedure inhuman. By contrast, in keeping with your deep insight, you consider it most humane and most worthy of human beings. You also admire this machinery, but it is too late. You don't even go onto the balcony, which is already filled with defrauen. You want to attract attention, you want to cry out, but a woman's hand is covering your mouth, and I and the old commandant's work are lost. You're exaggerating my influence. The Commandant has read my letters of recommendation. He knows that I am no expert in judicial processes. And if I were to express an opinion, it would be just that of a layperson, no more significant than the opinion of anyone else, and in any case, far less significant than the opinion of the Commandant. You don't know the Commandant. For he and all of us are concerned, you are, forgive the expression, to a certain extent naive. Your influence, believe me, cannot be overestimated. Your verdict is no doubt already fixed. If some small uncertainties remain, witnessing the execution will remove them. And now I am asking you, help me with the Commandant. How can I do that? It's totally impossible. I can help you as little as I can harm you. You can do it. You could do it. I have a plan which must succeed. You think your influence is insufficient. I know it will be enough, so listen to my plan. To carry it out, it's necessary, above all, for you to keep as quiet as possible today in the colony about your verdict on this procedure. Unless someone asks you directly, you should not express any view whatsoever. But what you do say must be short and vague. People should notice that it's difficult for you to speak about the subject, that you feel bitter, that if you were to speak openly, you'd have to burst out cursing on the spot. You should give only brief answers, something like, uh, yes, I have seen the execution, or yeah, I've heard the full explanation. That's all. Nothing further. For that will be enough of an indication for people to observe in you a certain bitterness, even if that's not what the Commandant will think. Naturally, he will completely misunderstand the issue and interpret it in his own way. But my plan is based on that. Tomorrow, a large meeting of all the higher administrative officials takes place at the headquarters under the chairmanship of the Commandant. He, of course, understands how to turn such a meeting into a spectacle. You will certainly be invited to this meeting. Now, tomorrow, you are sitting with the women in the Commandant's box. With frequent upward glances, he reassures himself that you are there. After various trivial and ridiculous agenda items designed for the spectators, the judicial process comes up for discussion. I will stand up and report on today's execution. The Commandant thanks me, as always, with a friendly smile. And now he cannot restrain himself. He seizes this excellent opportunity. The report of the execution, he'll say, or something like that, has just been given. I would like to add to this report only the fact that this particular execution was attended by the great explorer whose visit confers such extraordinary honour on our colony, as you all know. Even the significance of our meeting today has been increased by his presence. Should we not now ask this great explorer for his appraisal of the execution based on old customs and of the process which preceded it? Of course there is the noise of applause everywhere. Universal agreement, and I am louder than anyone. The Commandant bows before you and says, Then in everyone's name I'm putting the question to you. And now you step to the railing. Place your hands where everyone can see them, otherwise the ladies will grab them and play with your fingers. And now finally come your remarks. In your speech you mustn't hold back. Let truth resound. Lean over the railing and shout it out. Yeah, 
Yes, grow your opinion as a commandant, your unshakable opinion, or whisper them so that only the officials underneath you can just hear them. That's enough. You don't even have to say anything at all about the lack of attendance at the execution or about the torn strap, the disgusting felt. Nine, I will take over all further details. And believe me, if my speech doesn't chase him out of the room, it will force him to his knees, so he'll have to admit it. Old Commandant, I bow down before you. That's my plan. Will you help me? No. No. But you must. I am opposed to this procedure, even before you took me into your confidence, and of course I will never abuse that confidence under any circumstance. I was already thinking about whether I was entitled to intervene against this procedure and whether my intervention could have the smallest chance of success. And if that was the case, it was clear to me whom I had to turn to, first of all, naturally, the Commandant. I find your conviction genuinely moving, but it cannot deter me. So, the process has not convinced you. Well then, it is time. Time for what? But he did not answer me. Instead, he walked over to the condemned man. Joachim, uh, du bist frei. Nun frei bist du. Was sagst du? For the first time, the face of the condemned man began to show signs of real life, and he began to shake back and forth as much as the harrow permitted. Ah, you're tearing my straps, be still. We'll undo the right of way. We'll pull you out. This process required a certain amount of care because of the harrow. The condemned man already had a few small wounds on his back, thanks to his own impatience. From this point on, however, the officer paid hardly any attention. He came up to me, pulled out the small leather folder once more, leafed through it, finally found the sheet he was looking for, and showed it. Yeah, read that. I can't. I've already told you that I can't read these pages. But take a close look at the page. Zai Garesht, it states. Now you can read it. Be just. That could be. I do believe that's what's written there. Good. He climbed up the ladder, holding the paper. With great care, he set the page in the inscriber. When the officer was finished, with a smile, he looked over the whole thing and all its parts once more. He climbed down and began to unbutton the coat of his uniform. In spite of the obvious speed with which he undressed himself completely, he handled each piece of clothing very carefully. He now stood there, naked. I bit my lip and said nothing, for I was aware that what might happen, I had no right to hinder him in any way. The officer was now acting in a completely correct manner. In his place, I would not have acted any differently. Was tut er? Weiß ich nicht. The officer had turned towards the machine. If earlier on it had already become clear that he understood the machine thoroughly, I was now alarmed at the way he handled it and how it obeyed. He had only to grasp the bed by the edges, and it already began to quiver. The stump of felt moved up to his mouth. I could see how the officer really did not want to accept it, but his hesitation was only momentary. He immediately submitted and took it in. Everything was ready, except that the straps still hung down on the sides, and they were clearly unnecessary. The officer did not have to be strapped in. Die Riemen, sie sind lose. When the condemned man saw the loose strap, he waved eagerly to the soldier, and they ran over. Hardly were the straps attached when the machine already started working. The bed quivered, the needles danced on his skin, and the harrow swung up and down. Everything in the machine interested the condemned man. For me, it was embarrassing. I was determined to remain here until the end, but I could no longer endure the sight of the two men. Go home! Nachthauser! Was? Nein! Ich muss bleiben! Ich muss sehen! 
Then I heard a noise from up in the inscriber. The harrow was not writing, but only stabbing. And the bed was not rolling the body, but lifting it, quivering up into the needle. Obviously the machine was breaking up. I wanted to reach in and stop the whole thing, if possible. This was not the torture the officer wished to obtain. It was murder, pure and simple. I stretched out my hands, but at that point the harrow was already moving upwards and to the side with the skewered body. Then one last thing went wrong. The body would not come loose from the needles. The blood streamed out, but it hung over the pit without falling. At this point, almost against my will, I looked at the face of the corpse. It was as it had been in life. I could discover no sign of the promised transfiguration. What all the others had found in the machine, the officer had not. Later that day, I made my way to the tavern where the old commandant was buried. He had been denied, I was told, a place in the cemetery. There, in the tea house, under a table in the corner, was a gravestone that read, Here rests the old commandant. His followers, who are not permitted to have a name, buried him in this grave and erected this stone. There exists a prophecy that the commandant will rise again after a certain number of years, and from this house will lead his followers to a reconquest of the colony. Have faith and wait. When I had read it and got up, I saw the men standing around me and smiling as if they had read the inscription with me, found it ridiculous, and were asking me to share their opinion. I acted as if I did not notice, walked to the harbor, and left the penal colony. You have been listening to Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of In the Penal Colony by Franz Kafka, featuring Marcus Brown as the officer, Bill Short as the traveler, and Thomas Cole as the condemned man and the soldier. Produced and directed by Andrew Sullivan. This is your announcer, Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. Thank you for listening to Monday Matinee right here on the Mutual Audio Network. Please consider subscribing to other days of the Mutual feeds, including Tuesday Terrors for Horror, Wednesday Wonders, our science fiction and fantasy magazine, Thursday Thrillers for Action, Adventure, Mystery, and Crime Drama, Friday Follies, our end-of-the-week comedy series, Saturday Story Circle for kids and families alike, and Sunday Showcase, bringing you the very newest in audio releases for the week from our United Artists of Audio, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.